0: The Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend. Featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman. Golden Age Superman. The Superman Fan Podcast. Superman in the Bronze Age. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast.
1: The New 52 Adventures of Superman superman forever radio
0: i've got a few things to say about superman the cares world podcast the superman vidcast the world's best podcast and radio kale from supermanhomepage.com join hosts <laughs> michael bradley john wilson billy hokin charlie niemeyer
1: j david weeder
0: jeffrey taylor michael bailey scott gardner danny Sapp, Cameron Stoll. i'm isaac i'm adam dave Yunus and co-host scotty v at supermanpodcastnetwork.com Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to control buildings of a single round. This amazing stranger from a planet ship, the man of steel.
1: Who are you? A friend.
0: Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. Superman. 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 This looks like a job for Superman.
1: Superman Forever Radio the weekly podcast devoted to the Man of Steel. Welcome to Superman Forever Radio episode 56. I'm J. David Weider, the mild-mannered host of this quaint little podcast. And this episode came really, really close to not coming out on the right day. Yeah. Almost realized, uh, almost forgot to... Well, I'm just going to be honest with you, I kind of overwrote the original file, so this is a re-recording of the original recording. That's why we keep our notes, kids. But, this time around, we are going to be looking at DC Special Series number 26, Superman and His Amazing Fortress of Solitude. But first, I wanted to kind of take a moment to let you know what's coming down the pike in this 2013, the year of Superman. Superman. After this episode, which is dropping on the last Sunday of January, in the cold dead of winter, which well, where I live at least, it's been rather tempid if you want to be honest about it. Uh the month of February will be Superman Forever Goes to the Movies Month, which isn't even accurate in itself, because it's actually Superman Forever Goes to the DVD. But I'll be doing some commentary tracks. I'm gonna be doing four DC Universe animated films. Um in not in this order, but Superman vs the Elite Superman Batman Public Enemies, Superman Batman Apocalypse, and All-Star Superman. And there will be more commentaries way down the line in 2013. Uh, And I plan on having guests to help me cover some of the biggest Superman stories ever. Things like Kingdom Come, Red Sun, and much, much more. One of the episodes that I'm really looking forward to, thanks to fortuitous timing, is episode 76, which will be the coverage of the Pilgrimage, many of us Superman podcasters are making to Metropolis, Illinois, for the annual Superman celebration. In the same episode, I plan on doing two, count them, two reviews of The Man of Steel, the biggest superhero movie this summer. Um, one, I'm going to record literally minutes after leaving the midnight showing. The other, after applying an actual critical mind to the movie and, and doing a more constructive piece on it. Which means, darn it, I may have to see it twice on opening weekend. These are the things I do for you, my listeners. But that is some of what I have for 2013. And let's not forget that the show will reach its 100th episode by the end of the year. And that is actually cause for celebration. But that's then. This is now. We have a fortress to talk about, which we will talk about right after this podcast promo. So don't go anywhere. Well, you can go places. Just take me with you. you. <laughs> TheSuperboyHomepage.com and Simply Superman Batman presents
0: the Schuster Herald Podcast. I'm your host, Sam J. Rizzo.
1: I'm your co-host, Adam Bassiano.
0: So tell us, Adam, what's going to be on the Schuster Herald Podcast?
1: Well, Sam, we have episode reviews, never-before-heard cast and crew interviews, and of course, we'll be taking a weekly look at what's happening in the Superman universe as a whole. So take flight with us, Superboy fans, in 2013 as this new Superboy podcast gets off the ground. When I put an episode covering The Fortress of Solitude on the docket for this year, I actually intended to do a very basic breakdown, kind of one of my standard profile pieces, educational style pieces. And in my research, it took me to the limited collector's edition featuring the Superman flash races that I covered right after the show returned. And that in a, it actually had this really cool cutaway of the fortress that was actually incomplete. Now within that, I was promised a second part in a future treasury edition, but that never appeared. And I went looking for it and looking for it. It's not in Superman Wonder Woman, not in Superman Shazam, none of them. However, another logical book to pull out of my Treasury Edition stack was this one, and after reading through it, well, I didn't find a cutaway, but I found essentially the ultimate guided tour of the Earth-1 Pre-Crisis Fortress of Solitude, complete with perfect branching points. So, the episode became about this Treasury Edition, complete with branching off into some of the issues it references, but not all of them, because some of it touches on stuff I'm going to cover down the road, some of it's just not that important, now, the book itself that we're looking at, uh, this DC Treasury edition, came out on June 18th, 1981. This was the day before Superman 2 made its U.S. theatrical debut. It's also the same day as DC Special Series number 25, which was a Superman 2 special, and the, uh, the Krypton Chronicles number one came out that day. It has a Ross Andrew and Dick Giordano cover of Superman flying. He's hoisting the giant key above his head as he enters the fortress. The official story is entitled Fortress of Fear, and was written by Roy Thomas, penciled by Ross Andrew, inked by Romeo Tangal, lettered by Gaspar Saladino, and colored by Jerry Serpe. And as we go through the story itself, I will also kind of be matching it up with this cutaway I have in the Superman vs. Flash Treasury Edition, kind of for a more complete tour. So let's go ahead and jump right in. The first nine pages of the book serve as the setup for the entire story, and reveals a potential disaster in the future, one that the Man of Steel's fortress may be responsible for. So we open the story to the skyline of Metropolis, and Superman flying high above it, rushing to face a danger that will reduce Metropolis to a crater the size of Rhode Island. And he flies higher and higher, still out into space. As he does, he recalls what prompted the spirited... Clark Kent, Perry White, Lois Lane, and Jimmy Olsen were watching a television newscast by none other than Barbara Walters on a United Nations peace negotiation when the signal was reduced to static. Using his supervision, Clark notes that it just isn't their rabbit ears that's having problems adjusting, but every television in the city. So in a typical scenery-chewing style, a villain appears named Dominus. And I know what you're thinking. I thought it too. It isn't that Dominus from the post-crisis era. No relation, no resemblance. This Dominus he wears this red armor. Looks a lot like Eric the Red from X-Men. And it's complete with a helmet that has a visor resembling large Elton John sunglasses and a mouthpiece that looks like kind of a space harmonica. He's a real rocket man. And I
0: think it's gonna be a long, long time Touchdown brings me round again
1: Dominus has electromagnetically pulled a colossal meteor toward Earth, and it's now on an Armageddon-style course for our planet. Now, if you've seen that Bruce Willis opus, you know that spells Extinction Level Event. Or, if you prefer, Deep Impact Little Elijah Wood gets hitched to that chick from Never Been Kissed, and Morgan Freeman is the most awesome president ever. So Superman flies directly at the meteor and smashes it into tiny, harmless fragments. That should be tiny, harmless fragments. Harder to say than you think. Try it three times. But he smashes it into tiny fragments that will float away or burn up in the Earth's atmosphere. But, in the shockwave, Superman catches a glimpse of the future. One hour in the future, to be exact. And what he sees mortifies him. In one hour, the entire planet will explode. And the source of the explosion, the catalyst, the trigger, if you will, is a piece of real estate in the Arctic. Superman's Fortress of Solitude. Alarmed, to say the least, Superman rushes back to his citadel to investigate as Dominus reveals his plans to his assistant, Roger. This is apparently his plan all along. He wanted to show Superman the future and the fate that awaits the planet Earth.
0: Kalalo, dramatic sting! That was terrible.
1: Really, the Dominus plot only serves as a framing device to get Superman to his fortress, where he will proceed to look through his domain, triggering sitcom-style flashbacks to earlier stories that featured the bits and pieces of the fortress. Bear in mind, if you are picturing the crystal spires of Superman the Movie or Smallville, you've got the wrong fortress. Right concept, just wrong fortress. Instead, picture a snowy mountainside with a giant yellow or gold, if you will, door with a huge arrow-shaped keyhole. And the key itself is this giant yellow arrow, and I mean huge arrow. But the first flashback that is triggered on Superman's trip to his Arctic is to Action Comics issue 261. The issue was cover dated February 1960 and featured, oddly, another story that had a framing sequence and flashbacks to two prior incidents. Now, the flashback in the Treasury Edition only... Includes the actual flashback portions of the original story, not the framing sequence. In the original tale, written by Jerry Siegel himself, with Wayne Boring and Stan Kay on art, Superman brings his fortress into the city for tours. It makes sense that the framing sequence was omitted because it was portable. And that would kind of throw the overall narrative into turmoil, since we're looking at a very somewhat laid-out Fortress of Solitude. But the two flashbacks, which were... The original content at the time Are represented here Actually redrawn and rescripted, Which I really appreciated Because it could have really turned this into a cut and paste job But no Original art, original adaptation But the bits reveal Superman originally had his fortress in space Disguised as a meteor But that kind of made it somewhat accessible To all kinds of space stuff Like a living gas named Urko Yes, Urko Urko turned Superman's wax statues of his friends against him, giving them life, until Superman vaporized the gas creature with the sun, because that's what Superman does, he throws stuff into the sun. Trying to find a safer yet private place in space, Superman took his fortress to a planet of fire people, who immediately attacked him. And they changed their tune when Superman saved them, but the damage was done, and Superman gave up on the space-based fortress. The neat thing that I will add to that, which isn't referenced in the Treasury Edition itself is the idea was played with in Superboy Volume 1, Issue 177. In it, Superboy has to remove all of his accoutrements from the Kent household for a bit because there's a villain thing going on, but he has a secret fort in a space meteor for just a brief bit. Now, the Fortress was a one-off for the Superboy stories, but it did call back to this story in Action 261. And I covered the Superboy story on Episode 52 of Superman in the Bronze Age, so I recommend listening to that episode and, well, every episode. You can find that at supermaninthebronzeage.com. Back on the treasury, as Superman arrives at the fortress, which leads directly into another flashback to Superman Volume 1, Issue 176, which speaks to Superman choosing this Arctic location. This harkens back to a story called Tales of Green K- Kryptonite Number 2 by Otto Bender and Kurt Swan. This story involves the staff of the Daily Planet crashing in the Arctic and a talking piece of kryptonite. Well, kind of a talking piece of kryptonite. It, does, it talks to the reader. It breaks the fourth wall, but not to the characters, which I'm not sure which one would be more egregious. Uh, they're both odd. Um, both ideas. But after the crash, in which everybody parachutes out of the plane, Superman realizes that his desolate winter wasteland is the prime place to put his fortress so he carves the fortress out of the mountain. Now, really, that's the relevant bit. The rest of the talking kryptonite thing can be forgotten. I mean, the kryptonite rock had a face. I kid you not. Look look it up. Uh, but Superman found that he could be on Earth and still have a place to hang his head and not be disturbed. And let me make a bit of a, of a point here. Why does Superman need a fortress of solitude? It's a relevant question. Because doesn't he have a, an apartment as Clark Kent? A farm in Smallville where he can visit when he needs to kick back. And this sure, sure. These are fine for leisure, but he also needs a base of operations for monitoring, storage, and basically just to be Superman. Kind of indulge that hero side of him, the kind of the kind of Kryptonian part of him to some extent. And I mean if you're gonna be honest, you can't fit an interplanetary zoo into a rent controlled apartment. Believe me, I tried settle down settle down Beatrice Beatrice settle down anyway Superman gets to the Arctic and the treasury you know that little thing that is the core of what we're covering and he's still stressing about what could be in his fortress that would cause the destruction of the earth in one hour after all this is still the, the early 80s you have to wait oh, maybe over an hour for film much less destroying the world So he picks up the giant yellow key, and in his inner monologue, he remembers that this isn't the first door we saw him make in that story from Superman 176, which brings us to another flashback to Action Comics 409. Not Formula 409, this is issue 409. In this Carrie Bates written tale, a giant yellow monolith appears in the middle of Metropolis Park where it proceeds to be tested and examined by an unsuspecting crowd as Superman digs for diamonds. Turns out, Superman was was able to make a new alloy from alien materials, and he uses the indestructible alloy that has survived fire, guns, acid, anything else people were able to throw at it. Using the diamond he finds in the ground as a drill bit, Superman carves out the keyhole and makes a completely indestructible door to his fortress, just happens to have a giant keyhole. So, uh, yeah, earmark that. So... So far in the story, we have seen that something stemming from the fortress will destroy the earth in one hour. Distressed, Superman has flown back to his fortress, giving us the background of the door and the location. That's just the first 13 pages of 64. So now we actually enter the Fortress of Solitude, the ultimate citadel for the Man of Steel. In a lot of older interpretations, we saw the inside of this fortress being very cave-like, almost like a bat cave in almost every way. The walls were stone and they seemed to be there there just seemed to be a lot of offshoot tunnels. And really, I mean really to be honest, the fortress would serve whatever structure the story needed. But the Superman vs. Flash Treasury Edition changes that by giving us a look at the structure and the floor plan. Now the cutaway here shows the fortress within the mountain to be a structure that is basically an arrowhead in shape. A um, bit wider but sort of comes up to a point, almost like a chalet. And it has three floors that wrap around the structure. The basic floor plan of the first story is to enter the door into a bit of a foyer, with a security system to the left of the door and the opening to the disintegration pit to the right. Entering the main chamber, you find the trophy room, the biggest single part of the fortress. It rises two stories high and comprises the arrowhead structure itself with the adjoining rooms occupying the wraparound structures. The chamber from the left-hand side of the trophy room holds Superman's super weapons, uh, the things he's collected through his crime-fighting adventures. On the right are a pair of rooms off of one entrance, with one partition between them. One is communications, the other a Kryptonian memorial. The single entrance to these rooms where they split off is guarded by the giant statues of jor and Lara holding up the globe. A part of the fortress that's as recognizable as the big yellow door, to be honest. So Superman enters the foyer that I mentioned and bathes in a super blowtorch to burn away any germs. That's something straight out of the Andromeda strain. He also references the Disintegration Pit and reflects on a story from Action Comics 402 in which he and Supergirl began fighting thanks to a hate gas that had risen up from the we- some weapons they had destroyed. Hate gas. That's pretty awesome, but the story itself was called The Feud of the Titans and was written by Leo Dorfman with art by the Swanderson team, Kurt, a- Kurt Swan, and Murphy Anderson. Or Kurt Anderson, I could switch it up. But from there, we go into the Super Weapons Room, which looks like Kenner and Mattel just threw up all over the place with toys. I mean, if there weren't toy designers as children looking at this, getting excited with their hearts beating, breaking out into a cold sweat on their, bra- on their brow, I would be shocked Because half of this stuff would look right at home with toys like Air Raiders, the real Ghostbusters, Silverhawks, RoboCop and the Ultra Police, Starriers, Power Lords, or even that ill-fated Bill and Ted line of figures. You know the ones. And we see the standard uh, missiles and rocket launchers, but also a rolling wheel tank that looks like something directly out of the Secret Wars line. I mean, literally right out of it. Uh, flying saucers and various robots, and there's even a corner of the room devoted to the inventions of Lex Luthor, which includes a bust of the villain. Neat note here is that one of the weapons is an earthquake maker, uh, which references Superman number four, one of the earliest Superman and Luthor encounters. But Superman doesn't see anything here that could cause the disaster, kind of shrugs that off as well as the disintegration pit, And the Man of Steel strolls back across the trophy room through the arch made by Jor-El and Lara and the globe, and he rolls into the Kryptonian Memorial, which has this... Okay, um, it's awkward. He has a 3D holographic display that is activated by a viewer's body heat. So when somebody comes near it, and it senses that body heat, it replays, well, Krypton's explosion. (laughs) So, every time someone, which I assume would mostly be Superman himself, walks by this thing, the planet explodes and the rocket flies off. I'm no psychology prodigy or anything like that, but normally a constant reminder of the destruction of one's parents, especially one so tragic, and uh, the fact that millions died alongside them is a bad thing. I mean, isn't it a bad thing? Somebody who lost their parents to a car wreck. They don't make it a habit to replay the video of the wreck itself. Now, granted, Superman never really met his parents. At least, he never met them in the context of them being his parents. Because he met them when he was an adult, so they didn't raise him. Which is kind of part of being a parent. But not having that connection, it still doesn't entirely preclude somebody from you know, really being morbid just by having put time and effort into building such a display. It's a bit disturbing, really. But to kind of counter my own point, to kind of uh, even the scales out, we do live in a world where we bury our loved ones and we visit their tombstone. So there's a a bit of a a precedence in the real world. And I guess that goes a little further to underline the pathos behind Superman, because he's lost a planet that he never knew that's a part of himself he will never really know. I don't know why. This just really stood out. so. And Superman leaves that room and goes across the partition to his communications room, which is filled with monitoring equipment. From here, Superman can see emergencies as they happen, because he has things like news feeds. And apparently, if I'm looking at the panel, the top panel on page 23, he can also watch things like parades, sitcoms, and Magnum P.I., Okay, I'm going to be honest. That little uh, reference isn't right for this show. Uh, that actually, Magnum references belong on Pad Smash and Incredible Hulk Podcast, which is a show I co-host with Lee Busby and Michael Bailey, available on iTunes and at the Incredible Hulk IncredibleHulkHomePage.com. So with that completely shameless plug out of the way, we leave the communications room just after Superman blows off an erupting volcano. No, really, he blows it off. Now, granted, it hasn't wounded or killed anyone, and the eruption seems to be fading, but still. You're telling me Superman would rather hang out in the fortress to figure out what destroys the Earth? Ah, well, Okay, fair enough. But passing a set of antibacterial nozzles that spray on a schedule and are in no way, shape, or form important to the overall plot of the book, except in every way, Superman enters his trophy room. Stopping so we can finally look around in here. Now The giant room includes a duplicate of the robot dinosaur, as seen in Batman's Batcave, and a damaged cruise ship. It isn't the Titanic, but still kind of cool. But the focal point isn't all of the cool stuff, it's a cage for the Venezuelan lizard dog. And that triggers, that's right, another flashback. But it's an important flashback to the story. This time we go to Action Comics 407 from December 1971 and the story The Fiend in the Fortress of Solitude, written by our good friend Carry Bates and drawn once again by the Swanderson team. This story features a pilot and criminal named Michael Andrews crashing near the Fortress of Solitude when he's rescued by Superman. Knowing the location of the Fortress, he ends up taking Clark Kent hostage and tra- traveling to the Fortress with his son and an accomplice, and they manage to break into the Fortress via the keyhole proving that no matter what the metal that door is made of, the fortress can be breached. But within, they hold hold Clark in that cage as they loot some of the weapons from the fortress. Superman slips in and out of the cage, averting disasters while returning as Clark Kent to keep up the guys. And in the end, Lex Luthor reveals himself to be the accomplice and kills Michael Andrews, but Superman captures Luthor and puts him behind bars and rescues Mr. Andrews' son. Yay for saving the day. Boo to Luthor. But this will prove to be a useful bit of flashback information as the main story progresses. Superman's last stop on this floor is to Supergirl's apartment, which stands off of the main structure. It's a little place of her own and decorated by the Maid of Might. Now, Supergirl can do a lot of things. She's capable of many, 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 many things. Decorating, not her strong point. Just not. Just saying. But that is the last stop on the first floor. And I'm going to take one more short break, and then we will look at the remaining floors of the Fortress of Solitude and reveal the evil plan of Dominus. The
0: internet is really, really great
1: For Guy Gardner Podcast
0: i got a fast connection so I don't have to wait for Guy Gardner podcasts. There's always some new site. For Guy Gardner podcasts. I browse all day and night. For Guy Gardner podcasts. It's like I'm surfing at the speed of light. For Guy Gardner podcasts. The internet is for. Guy Gardner podcasts. The internet is for. And sometimes Kyle Rayner podcasts. Why you think the net was born? Guy Gardner podcasts. Tracking. Just One of the Guys is a weekly internet radio show dedicated to bring you reviews, commentary, and a heartfelt defense of the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, the two Earth-based Green Lanterns who always seem to get dumped on. Over the next several years, I will be covering the Green Lantern books from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004 also be covering the Guy Gardner solo series, as well as any other media that catches my fancy. The show can be found on iTunes by searching for Just One of the Guys podcast, or by going to the website justoneoftheguys.lips.com. So be sure to tune in every Friday for a fun-filled look at the Green Lantern Corps, hosted by me, Sean Ingle. It's just as enjoyable as the search for the subject that this song is actually about. Internet is more, Internet, is more. Internet Sport JustOnefGuys.libsen.com. Yeah. Just one of the guys does not officially certify that this podcast is more enjoyable than pornography.
1: I don't know if I can vouch for what Sean just said either, but I can tell you Just One of the Guys is an excellent, excellent show. Highly recommend it. Um alongside Green Lantern's Light, of course. Those two go hand in hand. In fact, Sean joined us on an episode. But yeah, check out Just One of the Guys. Excellent podcast. Uh, but for now, we are back to look at the next level of the Fortress of Solitude. And oddly, these levels not quite as relevant to the Treasury Edition story that we've been looking at as, as the first level. But we are exploring the Fortress of Solitude, so we deserve to go up to these next two levels. So I'm gonna go and refer back to the floor plan from the Superman vs. Flash Collector's Edition. And it's basically the same layout. The trophy room extends all the way up, and the rooms kind of surround it like a balcony. Now, to the right of the main chamber is Superman's archives. I don't know what he's archiving, but he has a big room to archive that. Um, that's how he rolls, I guess. Uh, the left holds the supercomputer, the Phantom Zone viewer, and the projector. And we also have the uh, room for his lab, his personal lab where he practices his sciency things. Within that lab is the Bottle City of Kandor, or was, I should say. But the bulk of this floor holds the interplanetary zoo, which is my favorite part of the fortress. And Superman begins his journey with his lab. And he ponders the empty spot where the Bottle City of Kandor used to stand. And this triggers a flashback to his first run-in with Brainiac, who held the city prisoners. Now, since I'll be covering Brainiac just a little way down the line... I'll simply leave my description of that encounter there. Met Brainiac. Brainiac had the Fortress of Sol- or, pardon me, had the uh, Bottle City of Kandor. But he also muses on how he did manage to finally enlarge the Bottle City, allowing those Kryptonians to live on a planet orbiting a red sun. So, why wouldn't Superman go with his people, since he thinks so much of Krypton? Well, he's here to take care of his folks his people us that's his job now he's accepted he's superman which kind of plays with that dual nature of superman being both an alien and in a lot of ways a human it's an alien it's a it's another thing that a lot of writers could play with and have but uh here it is planted in the bronze age now as far as when did the when did the city get enlarged that was superman number 338 and i'm not going to talk too much about that But you would do well to keep your eye on Superman in the Bronze Age this year because I believe Charlie has mentioned that he may be covering that at some point. And then uh, we're kind of treated in this to two rooms that aren't on the original floor plan from the Superman Flash Treasury Edition. We have a storage room for his Superman robots. Well, that makes sense. You can't have them wandering around. If if you're going to have Superman robots, you better have a place to put them. It's kind of like being a collector. If I don't have a place to put something, I better find a way. I've been pretty creative about how I've displayed things, though. So. so Superman having a room is kind of awesome. And, well, Superman robots are awesome. But there's this other storage room. It's 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 one that has me scratching my head because it's a storage room for kryptonite. And I just look at that and I think, What? Because if you're allergic to something, you have one thing in the world that you're allergic to. I mean, we're talking real world here. If you're allergic to peanuts or peanut butter or derivative, you don't normally keep them on hand. And you don't have a a room or a section of your cabinet devoted clearly to the one thing that you are allergic to. At least if you did, that might kind of frighten me a little bit. But you have a room, he has a room devoted to this substance. Why does Superman keep the only thing on the planet that can kill him right near him, just to down the hall in his private abode? I mean, I can, you can make a case for experimentation, and that was kind of my first thought. But then I'm like, well, why wouldn't Star Labs just handle that? Star Labs is kind of into that thing, experimenting with sciency stuff, and especially kryptonite. But then I thought a little bit further and yeah, Star Labs is, you know, getting attacked or raided or what have you about three times a week now. So it's actually probably safer within the Fortress of Solitude, but still just a, just a weird thing to keep in there. (laughs) And I just hope Superman, you know, if he's going to experiment, I hope he calls somebody to let him know, you know, let Supergirl be on hand. Because I'd, I'd hate it if the poor deer were to fall, ear, fall ill to playing with kryptonite. But the big room. The main brunt of what we see on the second floor that is relevant to what we're looking at tonight. The interplanetary zoo. And within the zoo, we see many, many species. And I'm a little upset with this, actually. Because we see some metal eaters. Um, we see a beaked cat... I kid you not, a cat with a beak, that's all it is. But we don't have any Thanagarian Snare Beasts. Now, why? I don't know. But I'm a fan of Thanagarian Snare Beasts. And I was kind of disappointed not to see this. And I think that's more of a personal gripe than anything else, so I'm going to leave that there. Um, Now, one of the things we do see is a singing plant, which is... (sighs) Really? Am I really going to try to explain a singing plant? It's a plant that sings. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to... I can't believe I just thought about explaining that. But it's exactly as it says. Now, the other is something called a bravado beast. That's what Superman named him, at least. This creature is this... I don't know how to describe it. It's almost a lizard thing with tentacles. But it's, it's a basically docile, friendly creature until it sees the color yellow. And then it becomes extremely aggressive. In fact, uh, Superman flashes back to a story when Lois was visiting and thought he was a coward because he was hiding behind her. But the real reason is, since Superman's costume includes yellow, including his belt, not in the New 52, but now, or then, but since it includes yellow, well, the beast is going to get miffed when Superman walks by, so hiding behind Lois, it became playful, and so on and so forth. Now, can you smell the plot point? I just want to make sure if I am building this up correctly. Just want to make sure you saw the plot point clearly marked in the map. Um, but we leave the zoo. Superman checks his supercomputer and the Phantom Zone uh, per viewer before going to the third floor. And this is the, the floor that was not on the layout in the Superman Flash extravaganza. This is his swanky personal space. Which I thought was kind of the whole fortress. But to be more specific, it's his own personal apartment. It's more like a living space than kind of a working space. And I've never had an apartment like this. Because his apartment has a 100-pin bowling alley. I kid you not, 100 pins. The dude bowls with 100 pins. I once shot a 24 bowling with... with. Uh, I, I, I just can't imagine that. Uh, I also never had a... An apartment with a multi-armed boxing robot to spar with. But I guess if we're kind of being honest, I've I've never been Superman either. Kind of makes me a little sad. But this floor also holds Superman's giant journal. Which, he used to have one that had the steel pages that he wrote in with his fingernails. Since they are super hard. Now thanks to a big scientific technological upgrade, he can now dictate into the journal using his thoughts his thoughts. Yet another plot point I'm going to lay down there. And then we go to his famous wax museum of his friends. And he you know, he thought it through enough to include a Clark Kent wax figure, just in case, you know, somebody who doesn't know his secret identity comes to visit. Wow, bravo. That's great thinking. I don't know that I would have thought of that. But uh, then he includes this tableau of Superboy. Okay, you want to celebrate your time with Superboy? I dig that. I'm, I'm behind that. But the tableau features Superboy in full costume, kind of sitting at the dinner table with Jonathan and Martha Kent. You know, Clark Kent's parents. I don't mean to be a nuge, but I think Superman probably wasn't putting as much thought into this as he could have. So good luck with those science experiments. Glad you got the kryptonite on hand. And at this point in the story, Superman is starting to panic. He's even looking on this giant space arc he has sitting around because he kind of thought he'd hope to gather some of his nearest and dearest in a time like this and take him off planet to find somewhere to kind of settle down and lay low. But he doesn't fire it up. He doesn't have it warmed up. I mean, I would at least start it, kind of like a car on a, on a warm day, on a snowy day. Start it, let it warm up, just, just in case you need to swoop by and pick up Lois. No, he doesn't do that. Instead, he goes to this swanky living room ...with this beautiful view of the arctic landscape, its huge fireplace, his big, you know, wing-back chair... ...and he has a milkshake to try and think his way through his quandary, which is fair... ...because sometimes you can kind of sit back and think it through from a different perspective. And he does. He begins putting scenarios together. These massive combination of little events. And he sits down to use his journal machine, and he's able to put together a scenario that makes sense... Stay with me as I describe this. If he were carrying some kind of undetectable microorganisms picked up from the meteor, it could turn the singing plant yellow. Remember the singing plant in the zoo? And that would cause the bravado beast to smash out of his cage and attack and probably devour the flower. Now, the beast is carrying these microscopic, uh, whatever you want to call them, and the antibacterial gas floods the fortress. Because those things shoot off right at the hour mark. ...of when things explode. So, with those microbes being part of the beast... ...killing those with such a strong antibacterial formula... ...would cause the bravado beast a lot of pain... ...and just drive it even madder. So it would basically smash through the fortress... ...release the other creatures from the zoo... ...this would set off super weapons... ...because the creatures are running about... ...and the kryptonite would be released... ...which would render Superman powerless as chemicals from his lab spilled into the Disintegration Pit and created a world-ending Disasters. Disaster singular, not plural, sorry. Now one of the treats to this edition is that we actually see the IMAX-style comic book here, put to good use in some of these last sequences where Superman is seeing what could happen. The nuclear reaction, the mushroom cloud, amazing in scope. Uh, Superman, or pardon me, Metropolis falls into ruins on a two-page splash, and the planet itself explodes, and these are all presented on these big, huge, epic-style visuals. Ross Andrew definitely delivers. It's very, very impressive. But I, I like Ross Andrew, so. But none of them come to pass, because realizing that the antibacterial gas is one of the main catalysts in almost all of these scenarios that he sees, all these Rube Goldberg scenarios, Superman plugs... The gas. So it stops the entire sequence, and with that disaster averted, he rushes out to catch Dominus as the villain is about to make his escape. And with the villain caught, Superman pulls off the mask to reveal Lex Luthor. It turns out that Luthor had memorized every inch of the fortress when he visited there in Action Comics 407. And now he had this completely, ridiculously Rube Goldberg plan to destroy superman in the world so we end the book and i have to admit the plot was a bit ridiculous but the art was spectacular and it made a fantastic framing sequence to explore the fortress and go back to look at all these older stories that did you know kind of play with that all in all not a bad read when you put it together when you put all this the parts together but it would probably be cooler collected i bet you say Luckily, DC released a volume containing this and several other Fortress-centric stories. It's called Superman Secrets of the Fortress of Solitude, and for $19.99, you get 200 pages, which is not a bad deal. And I may trade mine in for the smaller, easy-to-carry edition because I always forget why I don't like to cover treasury editions. They're not as portable as I would like. They're awkward. But that is our tour of the Fortress of Solitude, and I was glad I actually had to come back and re-record this, kind of a little blessing to overwrite the file that you need, but I was able to add a couple of notes I missed the first time around just to kind of, I don't know, flesh it out a little. Um, before I go though, I want to send out a very sincere thank you to the esteemed Mr. Andrew P. Leyland, who sent me a package this week. Now Andy is a kind, thoughtful man. I'm very cl- proud to call him friend, and he even had a handwritten note which I found really, really thoughtful. So thank you, uh, thank you, Andy. It really did mean a lot to me. And those of you listening need to go out and listen to Andy's show. It's called Hey Kids Comics. It's a show he does with his son, Michael. Exquisite show. And you can find that at two Com. So with that, I'm going to sign off so I can get this episode out on time. And it's almost real time as I'm cutting it fairly close. But until next time, keep on fighting the never-ending battle. This has been Superman Forever Radio, a NetWorld production. You can find the show on iTunes with backlogs of episodes, where you can also leave a review. The show finds its home at supermanforever.com and is a very proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, which you can find at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. You can friend the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash supermanforeverradio and email the show at mail at supermanforever.com David can be found on Twitter at twitter.com/superdaveweeder. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not gain profit from the images or related properties belonging to DC Comics or Warner Brothers Entertainment. Superman and all related characters, the distinctive likenesses thereof, are all properties of Warner Brothers Entertainment and DC Entertainment. All music and sound clips used on the show are copyright their respective owners and no infringement is intended. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster.